0: Welcome back to How I Deal, where we discuss past closed, won, and lost deals, how they played out that way, and provide sales tips that account executives and really any sales pro can use in their deals today. My name is Taylor Dahlem, full cycle account executive, turn content guy, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Junior Latte, the sales guy here at Pickle. June, how we doing, man? Good. It's
1: episode 16. I've got something a little bit unique today. So for our listeners, we've had deal cycles where we've talked about Mailshake, Adobe, Quotapath, 2, and others. If there's a specific company or product vertical that you'd like to hear a deal from, reach out and let me know. Then I will in turn, you know, do some research, reach out to some AEs from said companies and products, and we'll get them on the podcast. So essentially, you know, we're putting the power in your hands, uh, use it responsibly, but I think it should be pretty fun.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic idea and in a way we can get a lot of interesting folks uh, to talk about you know, their, their life in sales and, and deals they've worked in the past. Uh, so excited to see where that goes. But while we're here, a quick refresher, if you haven't listened to us before, or maybe you haven't listened in a while, each conversation, we want to chat through a single past deal. We want to keep all names and places fictionalized, of course, uh, that allows us to really dive deep from the first time a prospect was either spotted in the CRM or on a list, or in this case, coming in inbound, and then all the way to getting that dotted line signed, that that sign completed, really wherever your, uh, your deals close and implementation starts.
1: Our guest today is Bradley Pasture. He started his sales journey as a regional sales engineer, made the jump to account executive for five years, became a director for four years, has spent the past nine years in various VP and SVP roles, and is currently the CRO at GuardSquare. More than anything, this is a reflection of what five years as an account executive can do for you. So Bradley, it's it's really great to have you. Tell us about your role today and what problems GuardSquare solves.
2: Sure. Thank you both. Great to be on the podcast. Uh, Enjoy listening to it as as well. So as indicated, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at GuardSquare. GuardSquare, we focus on mobile app security. So we primarily do three things. We help organizations test, protect, and monitor their mobile apps, whether they are on the Android or iOS platform.
0: Bradley, what deal are you walking us through today?
2: Sure. So for me, it's a little bit of a trip down memory lane. There is a deal that goes back almost four years ago. And I was VP of sales at a company by the name of RSAM that was acquired by ACL and then galvanized and then it became diligent. And they focused in the governance risk compliance space. And we we're working uh, at the time. I had an open territory and we we're looking to hire some folks into that and constantly interviewing. Yet the deal still needed to be worked inside that territory. And we had an inbound lead that came in, and I took a lot of the inbound leads because I wanted to see, hey, is there something here? Is it real? Is it not? And we had an inbound lead for a large insurance company in sort of what I would call upstate or or northeast part of New England area.
1: So I got a question, Bradley. As a VP of sales, if you're working a territory yourself, is there like more pressure to, I mean, perform... I guess maybe better is not the right term, but, you know, produce because you are working a territory yourself.
2: There is, and there's pressure in multiple areas, right? So there's the the existing reps who feel like you're taking a deal away from them, right? There mm-hmm. is the potential for reps coming in. So if I hired someone in the that territory at the time, the idea and the intent was to transition that over to them. And then there's also, as you indicated, I mean, you're, you're the VP of sales. In theory, you should be able to go and do everything or the perception, right, is that you should be able to do everything better than someone else. So if you take the deal and you lose it, you you have the risk of everyone else saying, gosh, you know, you should have handed off to Sue or to Tom or whoever, because they could have closed the deal, right? You're an operations person. They're the salespeople. So certainly a lot of pressure. But at the end of the day, regardless of what role you are, if you're a seller, the obligation is that you have to close the deals for the company. And this was an opportunity to step in help cover a patch that was open, do, I believe at the time, the intent was there, you know, right by everyone in terms of balancing roles, territory, potentially people coming in and helping focus on revenue generation for the company.
1: I think that's awesome. Able to just like step in and sell as a VP of sales, although you're like, hey, I'm not, I'm not taking this from anyone. I'm not stepping on toes here. Open territory, right? You're you're working it as best you can, which is really cool. So this is this deal is kind of wild because. You know, at this point, you've got a lot of years of selling experience. You're no longer an account executive, you're past the director stages even. And so a, a company becomes comes inbound, right? That's how you became aware about them. Tell us a little bit you know about that between uh, yourself, marketing and the research that you conducted before you know this meeting actually took place.
2: Sure, absolutely. So there's a, a a perception often that you get an inbound lead and the inbound lead has right, all this great information associated, and you just you just sit back and crack open Salesforce or wherever you get it from, and you're like, wow, everything's here. The reality is a lot of times inbounds have a name, maybe a title, email address, hopefully a work email address, hopefully a telephone number. And, and when I go back <laughs> in, in sort of time here, four years or so ago, this was pre-COVID, so people were in offices, and even if you didn't have a phone number, you could probably call the main number and get to the phone number. I know now that's more challenging. So you get an inbound lead and this particular account, while the use case in theory was inside of our ideal sort of customer profile, the actual account in terms of as an insurance company wasn't inside of our ICP. So really when it came in, it didn't register to anyone, myself or marketing that this deal would eventually be the largest single transaction deal in the history of the company. So I had to go and start doing discovery and call them up and say, Hey, you reached out. Why?
0: I say, Bradley, that kind of leads us into that that next step too. And we were talking about this a little bit, but, and, and as you mentioned, most inbound leads don't come with a ton of clear context in, in a sense that very loose information. I, as a marketing guy, I'm always excited for inbounds, but as a salesperson too, on my other hat, you know, there's always a grain of salt to be had, but a lot of deals can be lost in that discovery process like you were just talking about because either you sat back relaxed, they were just ready to buy. you were just an order taker at that point or you know they had no idea what was what this technology was or what this product or service was at all. They could be on either end of the spectrum and now it's your job to figure that out in discovery. So you may know, maybe dive in a little bit more on what that looked like or that digging for pain and, and really understanding where they were coming from and where they were at.
2: Uh, what did that look like for you and, and what did you learn? I'm a huge believer that deals die in discovery. And to expand upon that a little bit more, I believe discovery continues all the way through when you close a deal. And then actually if you're in a product like growth company or a lane and expand model, discovery continues beyond closing when you have enablement, and you think about growth in it. But that's that's a conversation for another podcast potentially. It's really you you can't sleep on inbounds. You don't know when the inbound comes in, how valuable it is, how not valuable it is. And the notion that reps will look at an inbound and immediately pass judgment without engaging is just egregious. And the top performing reps in any company I've worked for and certainly when I was a top performing rep, I've been on President's Club and won Rolexes and done all that stuff. So, you know, I certainly have a good uh, pedigree in the background there as well, you got to call everyone that comes in. And again, you don't know. There's a multitude of different formulas and processes and frameworks. I like MEDIC. So there's bunch of different variations of that. Force management is a newer iteration of medic from the people that develop medic. There's Medpic, there's Vedic, which replaces metric with value. But for your listeners who are not familiar with medic, it's basically a mnemonic for metric, meaning how does your prospect measure the value that you're bringing? That could be time, it could be money, it could be people. It could be meeting a regulatory requirement the easy economic buyer should be pretty obvious but a lot of times folks make the mistake of thinking the person they're talking to is the economic buyer what's the decision criteria what's the decision process what's the pain and then who's the champion and and inside all those stages there's lots of books written about how to flush out all these things predominantly in my mind, in discovery, you want to focus on what's the metric, You know what's, what's the pain they're looking for, which is different than pain. Pain is we need to solve this. The metric is how would you measure solving that? So I want to understand what's the metric, what's the criteria, and what's the process. So a different way of thinking about it is you know the who, what, why, and when. I think if you cover who cares about this, what are you trying to solve, when do you want to solve it, and why do you want to solve it, you're you really covered 80% more discovery than most reps will ever do.
1: I loved all of that. I, I specifically wrote down one piece that you said, how would you measure solving that? Pretty powerful statement. You know, As you're going through most of that process and trying to really, you know, figure out what the pain is, what problems they are, but figuring out like towards the end of things, okay, maybe this is the problem. How are you going to measure solving that problem? Man, great input. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for wrapping up like what Medic is, medpic, VedPick. There's all these things, um, yeah. you can, you, right? You can Google them. There's courses, all sorts of stuff. But at this point, you've unearthed some pain. You've verified your hypothesis about, you know, what this is. You didn't sleep on the inbound aspect. So you've put cards on the table. It's time to demo something, right? Time to take it past discovery. So what was right. the demo process like? How did you, you know, personalize it and keep it
2: focused? A little bit of greater context here, this was, I think I said four, four and a half years ago, and to give people some frame of reference, back then, it sounds like it was a long time ago, people would actually get on planes and go visit customers or drive and visit customers and prospects. And now the notion is, you know, just hop on a Zoom or whatever. So we said, you know, we'll come out and visit you. And they go, wow, you know, okay, you'll, you'll come to the middle of nowhere and visit us, which we did. And we met with the champion got a better understanding of what they're looking for, provided a, what I'll call a a functional demo, right? Not necessarily, this is what we would do for you, but this is what the platform will do. So we really try to focus on two ways of doing the demo. The first demo is, I don't know your business, but I know what we can do. And let me give you a sense of what we can do. Then you hope, and if you execute well, that the demo touches enough high level points that your champion will say, oh, okay now we can sign an nda we can give you content we can give you schema we can give you whatever it is that's important to you that you can integrate into the demo now in this instance we had to give our champion another demo to demonstrate yes we understand the the marketplace and the technology okay we understand a little bit more with you and then if you the champion feel comfortable with what we're able to demonstrate will you then give us access to everyone else so while we were going through the demo part of what we were also doing was this is we we're trying to understand who else is part of the process why are why is this important who are the other people that are involved And I, I believe having a demonstration that pulls in their content their data their metrics their information and then understanding why that is important to people is a great way to progress a deal i mean there's a lot of different ways to do it but you can imagine if You know, you're working with Tom and Sue's his boss and he says, this is important to Sue. And you say, great, can we get her feedback as part of that? It helps move those things along. I'm I'm obviously oversimplifying it, but that's basically what we did. We went out, we met with them, demonstrated our capability, demonstrated our willingness to listen. And then at that point we said, you know, how do we, how do we progress from these two sets of demos to move forward? Right.
1: And I love the personalized one-on-one demo with the champion because the champion can really help you expose like areas of your services, areas of your platform where they know could have high impact, which is really great. And after that demo, now you've got, you know, broader buy-in to do a, a bigger demo which you're trying to do in person at this point, right? Right. So the the overall
2: sales cycle was about nine months. So, you know, the way given our conversation, it sounds like this was over a couple of weeks. It wasn't, right. it was pretty right. long. We were, <laughs> yeah. it was a, <laughs> just flew out there, had lunch. It was great. Yeah. So <laughs> roughly nine month sales cycle, you know, it, initially I was talking with our champion once or twice every other week. And then as the months progressed, you know, we were engaging to ultimately, we're doing three, four calls a week, he and I making sure we were aligned. That wound up that it was part of it was competitive displacement. And there was time pressure that one of the platforms they were using had a renewal date. So they could continue going with the other vendor, they could use some of that budget to cover what we were doing. And, and all these things, we had no idea initially what we engaged, but this comes through really empathetic listening, understanding what the needs are, understanding why they're important for people. And, and I really think you only get there by demonstrating trust and competency through the process, right? Ultimately people buy from people. So you want to establish trust early on with your champion. And look, the reality is, is you may leave your champion and find another champion but you want to be able to maintain those relationships through the process and and ultimately what we found out was there was this completely wacky edge use case that had to do with members of their board and conflict tracking meaning you're a board member but you're also on a board of another company and you need to do disclosure to make sure those boards don't compete and it was something that we the company was at the time have nothing to do with yet our framework was flexible enough that during the course of the conversations our champion said hey could you do this we're like i don't know right but the answer is always sure let me find out more (laughs) and right you know my SE is rolling his eyes but again i was a former SE, so i'm like don't don't roll your eyes to me you know like i know how to do this so yeah you know we we went and we built it out and it was completely random It was the edge use case that sold it, because if you you think back to to MEDIC, and this is why I like frameworks, if you go through a checklist, it was who is the economic buyer, and then who is part of the decision process. So ultimately, the people at the senior finance level and the people at the senior executive level felt comfortable signing off on it, not because, ironically enough, not because we solved the core use case they were looking for, but we solved this esoteric edge use case that benefited those senior executives.
0: Yeah, the edge use case. I mean, in general, and we talked about this last week, Junior, but it's this concept of not always are you you know, hitting a home run out of the park or solving a huge, massive problem. A lot of times what closes deals is either risk aversion, like, hey, are you just keeping me safer? Or are you addressing a very specific need or a very specific small uh, niche that maybe nobody else is thinking about answering or filling in a lot of that can be a lot more powerful than just trying to, you know, solve every one of their problems or, or shoot for the moon so to speak, but uh, I think this is a great example. I guess the thought is you've you've had the discovery, you've now had the personalized demo and and it's obviously this concept of the edge use case came up, you're solving that probably better than anybody else, but as any deal progresses there's always going to be barriers that you have to overcome whether they're, you know, on the company side or on the your side internally. Uh, walk us through maybe a couple of those major barriers and, and maybe how you overcame them.
2: There were, I, I think, maybe three things that all happened roughly around the same time, which was we finally got to the point where we had done the individual meetings with stakeholders and and I pushed them for uh, what I I call like a Demo day, or you know, lunch and learn, however you want to describe it, but basically a workshop where we were going to go through all the use cases, bring in the various stakeholders, you know, show up with tons of collateral and you know, socks and pens and all that fun stuff, and really just do that whole workshop day. It's really hard on the vendor ourselves, a little bit easier on the prospect because they just roll in for an hour. So that was scheduled, that was set up, that was our final sort of competitive walkthrough the night before. I wind up at Mass General Hospital in Boston because my mother-in-law's husband at the time had uh, a heart, ac- heart attack and medical complications, and he died the night before we were supposed to fly out. So I called my CRO, who was, lived in Tampa, and said, I need you to go to this thing. And he's like, all right. I, you know, I don't know how I'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I called, uh, I texted our champion at nine o'clock at night or so and said, Hey, here's what's going on. And he's like, Hey, if you need to cancel and reschedule, totally fine. I said, I don't, I don't know but I'm gone, right? Like I'm unavailable, I'm just letting you know, I'll connect with our CRO, we'll see what we can do. And you know, we didn't really touch on this as part of the conversation here. I did a little bit with trust with the prospect, but I felt comfortable sharing and being vulnerable with the prospect because at this point, I think we're maybe eight months seven and a half months into the process. i known him pretty well, knew you know where he went on honeymoon. We, we sort of I wouldn't say we were work friends, but we transcended just sort of that general initial level. And I'd also kept my team completely up to date through the entire process. So look, I'm the VP of sales. It would have been really easy for me not to keep Salesforce up to date and not to keep the sales engineering team up to date, not to keep my boss, the CR, updated, but everything was logged in Salesforce. Everyone was current up to date. I informed all the stakeholders inside my company. So when these events happened, I wouldn't say it was easy. And I'm not saying the balance between work and personal, and certainly when someone dies, you know, for me, allowing me to hand off work allowed me to focus on the personal aspects of it. And everyone needs to manage those things differently for who they are. But for me, I was able to hand it off to my team and say, just go and do because I had kept them current, because I kept my information accurate, because I kept them engaged, because you could go through and look through Salesforce and see weekly notes to my champion, to the stakeholders saying, Hey, thank you for the time. This is what we covered. Here's the next steps. Here's what we're looking to do. So things happen all the time. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Hopefully when the good things happen, you can celebrate. But when the bad things happen, which is more often than not, if you're working in a team-based motion, And you have everyone involved and you're working with your, your boss. In this case, my boss is the CRO and you're keeping people involved and current and up to date. When these things happen, you can either get coaching, right? So if you're a junior rep or anyone, look, we all need coaching. You can get the coaching, all that information was in Salesforce. So I didn't have to say to my CRO, oh, let me write this all up. while my wife and mother-in-law are mourning. I was just like, I'll talk to you later right? Here's the guy's contact information, which quite frankly didn't need because all that was in there. He could just look inside Salesforce and all that information was there. Right, so that handoff was seamless. And look, our customer—I uh, hate to be unkind—they didn't really care that my mother-in-law's husband passed away. Right, they had twelve people scheduled per day coming in and out, and but they were able to keep their motion going and keep it rolling. And aside from my champion, I didn't tell anyone over on that business side what happened. They found out later on, but we were able to keep rolling because of that.
1: Sounds like you, I mean, did a fantastic job, like documenting everything along the way, keeping people in the loop, as you mentioned, and the people coming to this meeting, it's no longer like base level. It's like, you know, these are high, high level, high impact decision-making people coming uh, to this meeting. So it certainly seemed like, hey, this the meeting must go on. Um, Bradley, you've managed a lot of people, you know, over the past uh, 20 years, maybe like, let's step away from the deal aspect and talk on the personal side, because I'm sure people on your teams have gone through things. You've, you've helped people walk through that. How do you mentally go through something like that? And then knowing you have to come back to the sales game, right? At some point you got to come back and start selling and do your job again. Like how do you go through that process? Um, I know, right. We're not therapists, but just from your perspective, maybe give us some insights there.
2: I'd sort of say I learned the the hard way. Um, my wife and I had some challenges uh, a, a long time ago with with pregnancy and babies and stuff like that. And I came into work, and my boss at the time, uh, Lynn Posey who's the chief marketing officer at Aquia, just said to me, she pulled me into the office, and she was like, "You're like, what's with you, right? Like you're not engaged, you're not doing everything." And I remember sort of opening up and crying and explaining to her what's going on. And she said to me, "You need to share. You need to engage people." and If you don't do that, then it's really challenging. But if you share, you'll find that people will support you and and be engaged. And even going way back, my mother passed away uh, about 26 years ago. And I had the opposite at the company I was working for, where my boss at the time, you know, could have cared less that my mother died when I was 25 years old. And there were some empathetic people inside the company. So what I've I've learned both the good and the bad over time is that the people you're selling to are human beings. The people you're working with are human beings. And everyone goes through struggles and challenges. And yes, we have an obligation and responsibility for the company. And I have a responsibility for the company I have here, but we also have responsibility for each other. And if you work and operate in an Open and ethical and honest way, and you have people engaged, and you meet and hopefully exceed the expectations of you. Then it becomes very easy, I believe, to have that support and have that openness. Right? Where where I think people go off the rails is you hear this from salespeople. You know, marketing's not giving the leads, or my or my boss is riding me on filling out Salesforce. And what they realize is is there's so many aspects of that. I mean, we're in sales, we have to be measured. You are measured in terms of metrics, but there's also this other aspect of if you take a pause and step back, I'm going to get sales and use Salesforce so I have better visibility with my team. I'm going to share what's going on so that when I have a bad day, people understand the context of what's the bad day, not that I'm just being a jerk to other people. And if you do that, I believe what you find out is you have that balance. You know, I expect and hold and try to hold my team accountable. They should hold me accountable. The executive team and the board should hold me accountable as well. But I'll be very frank with them. I'll say, hey, I have you know this, this thing coming up, whatever it is, and you know, but here's what I'm doing to prepare around it, right? So in the instance of my mother-in-law's husband passing away, I-, I didn't have this great package around, here's everything, and let me take an hour and let's pull everyone together on the team. But I was able to say, here it all is, because everything else was taken care of. And then I didn't have to worry about work, right? and making commissions and paying bills. And am I gonna lose my job because my shit was together? So, you know, my takeaway for people would be, you know, if you think about it in terms of three sort of primary things that you should have a process and stick to it, make sure everyone's aligned with that. I would engage your, or your internal team and internal team is both your company and the internal team you're selling to early and often. And also don't be single threaded. So don't be single-threaded just with the people inside your company. If you're working with pre-sales, you're working with SDRs, you're working with marketing, make sure to the extent possible, right, that people are engaged. So an example of that is you review the call with your SDR prior to doing discovery. You review those calls and notes with your uh, sales engineer before you get on with them, right? So you get access to all those people. And then the two final takeaways I would put in there is like, don't be an ass, right? I think you'll get really far professionally. Just... If you take that to heart, not be an ass, not be a jerk to everyone. And the other aspect of it is is be empathetic and understand that both your prospects and the people you work with and yourself, you know, you're going through a lot of things. So if you manage to pull basically those top three and those two other elements together, I think you'll build a pretty satisfying and successful career and you'll wanna and you'll wind up surrounding yourself with people that wanna be working with you as well.
1: Bradley, I don't think we could have wrapped this up any better than you just did for us now. It was really great chatting with you. Um, you know, a VP of sales who is actively selling, now a CRO who is not afraid to jump in and help. Thanks for uh, joining the How I Ideal podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you both. Really enjoy it.
0: Yes. Thanks, Bradley. Super, super insightful episode. I always love talking with somebody that's started at the humble beginnings like we we're at, as account executives and, and junior sellers, all the way to to where you've grown in your career. So great insight, and as always, appreciate the conversation. And just like that, another episode of How I Deal is in the books. We appreciate all our listeners tuning in. Please, if you enjoy our content. Uh, Give us a follow on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and throw us a couple stars if you really enjoy it.